Welcome to the Moss Talk Podcast. Hey, what's happening with the world? Welcome to the brand new episode of the Moss Talk Podcast. And it's actually the very first episode of the brand new year. Happy New Year's to everyone. I'll have Hoping everyone is in good spirits. Hoping everyone had a great holiday. And I'm hoping everyone, hoping uh, 2023 is much better for everyone than it was for uh, in 2022. Uh, first and foremost, before we get into this episode, I would like to thank everyone who's been very supportive of the Mouse Talk Podcast and the Mouse Network um, for the past three years. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, push constantly pushing uh, consistent content. It's definitely not easy, and especially when you're trying to, uh, you know, obtain new supporters and also keep the uh, the old. I'm saying the old supporters satisfied. It is not easy. So, uh, hence the reason why I've been, you know, switching up the content and you know just trying to put more meaningful stuff out. So I appreciate everyone who's donated. I appreciate everyone who's just been very supportive. Uh, shout out to all the subscribers. Uh, if this is your first time checking out anything from uh, Mouse or the Mouse Talk podcast or just the Mouse Network, period, uh, make sure uh, you subscribe to the Mouse Network. Uh, hit that bell so therefore you can get a notification at any time I, I release anything. I uh, got more interviews on the way. I uh, got more collaborations with other podcasters and shows on the way. So y'all be on the lookout for that. Uh, as you all can see, this uh, the title of this episode is called Sobering Up. And on this episode, I'm going to speak about um, how we've lost so many people with within uh, last year or how over the last few years due to uh, drug overdoses. And then we got hit uh, for the first, of the, the first day of the year. Uh, unfortunately, we lost another uh, hip hop legend by the name of Gangsta Bull, and they ruled it as an overdose. And uh, one of the things I'm not gonna uh, do is get on this uh, platform and you know uh, bash her or say anything negative about her because she still we always remain the queen, far as in the city of Memphis, far as the rap queen, and you know she's definitely gonna be missed. But I wanted to also talk about like you know how serious this type of situation is. And I want to talk about my own uh, journey as far as sobriety uh, is concerned. But yeah, uh, it's been it's been a very tough couple of years as far as dealing with the drug overdoses. You know, every time you look up, not, not only just with celebrities, but it's also happening in our own neighborhoods. That's the sad part. It's, it's, uh, it's taking place within our own neighborhoods. Every time you look up, man, you know, it's, it's, it's due to uh, this fitting off stuff. That's the sad part. Every time you look up, it's a drug overdose, and someone said, oh, that was like for fitting off. And it's getting to a point where it's getting st- stuff is getting, you know, put in the weed. Something that a lot of people really, you know, love to enjoy, they enjoy to indulge in is marijuana. And the fact that, you know, they're finding fitting all inside the marijuana and people are still, you know, going out here and want to go cop from this person and cop from this person. And you don't know who they got it from or who they got it from. You just basically gambling with your life. 
And you know, of course, we're not in a position to tell people what they do with their to do with their lives. And hey, you shouldn't you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. But it's just it's, it's we living in a very scary time now. And you know, and this is kind of one of the reasons why I decided to solve up. You know, for other reasons also. But that's that's definitely one of the reasons because I don't want to you know mess around and you know I'm on my back porch or in my backyard smoking the blunt or something like that. And, you know, I'm, I copped this from somebody and, you know, it's laced with something. And then my wife and kids finding me out laid out in the backyard, packed like dead. You know, I would, I, I do not want that to be the last image of me that, that they would have to see all because, you know, I wouldn't got something from somebody and I don't know where it came from. All because I felt like I had to feed my uh, the feed devices that I have, and we like we're losing so many people to this because you know people out here still copying these fake pills, uh, copying just you know copying all this stuff and don't know what it's laced with. And the sad part is, it's getting to a point where people are not even learning; they don't even care. Even when it hits home for them, they feel like okay, well that was them. I, I, I'm good. That's the sad part. They look at it, it's like, oh, I'd be all right. And like I said, even when it hits home for them and someone close to them has overdosed off of whatever they were doing, because, you know, it's being everything is being laced with this fentanyl stuff, the cocaine, the weed, the pills, all it. And it's just, it's just sad, man. It's definitely sad. And... It, it, it's enough to make you want to cry. It definitely is because, like, you we, we have so many people that we, we have to bury in these last couple of years due to that. And, you know, I, my prayers goes out to anyone who's struggling still. I don't care what it is with. It, 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 even if it's with the, with the lean, it's with the weed, the pills, cocaine, it don't matter what it is, sleeping. It don't matter what it is. My prayers goes out to anyone who is who is struggling, far as with an addiction. Because one of the things that a lot of us do, fail to realize that man, these addictions are definitely real. You know, they are real, and it took for me to sober up to realize that they are real. You know. It took me. It took for me a while to realize and tell myself, "Hey, man, you got a problem. You're you're at it." It took me. It took for me a while to be real with myself. I had to look myself in the mirror, even though I was looking at myself like in disgust. Like, yeah, this is what you becoming yourself, Mops. But I had to keep it real with myself and say, like, this is <laughs> this is what I've become. And the thing is. I come from, you know, I come from the era of the DARE program, you know, like a lot of uh, people who my age, right, like in the early, early to mid thirties, come from the DARE program. And I remember all the speeches. I remember, you know, them teaching about drugs. And thing is, I grew up in a um, drug filled or drug infested neighborhood. And you know, have family members and you know things of that nature who have had their battle with had their battles with drugs. You know, and I've always told myself, man, I ain't finna do that. I ain't finna do that. I ain't finna do that. But a true addict, um, and then my mom also told me this too. You know, 
And my mom, my mom didn't do anything. She told me all it takes for you to do one thing and they'll leave for you to want other other things. And she was right. And then addicts will tell you that too. Other addicts will tell you that. That if you start out smoking weed, you're gonna want something else. And it definitely started there for me. Now, one thing I will say, you know, a lot of people try to uh, try to belittle someone's addiction because it's not as bad as theirs. A lot of people may look at it it's like, bro, you was just, you know, just addicted to weed or something like that, or just a few pills. Like, why are you stressing out or why you feel like it was a problem for you? But addiction is an addiction at the end of the day. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that, that person's heroin addiction is, you know, not, I don't, I'm not feeling like, okay, this person is addicted to heroin, but, you know, of course they're worse off than I am, but we're both still dealing with our addictions. We still have demons that we're battling, you know, because I had a, I had a stepfather who was a very good dude, but, you know, he had a heroin addiction. And I saw what it put me and my mother through. And it was not, it was definitely not a, a good thing. You know, I, I witnessed, you know, I witnessed what, what happened as far as what the addiction goes. You know, it's definitely a process far as trying to get clean and try to stay clean at that. You know, I remember the first time, you know, um, he, saying, he was my stepfather. He went on his uh, first binge around us and he was copping from across the street. You know, we, like I said, we lived in a drug infested neighborhood. You had dealers everywhere. He was copping from cop across the street. And, you know, he had a good, he had a good paying job at this time. It's like the mid, um, mid to late nineties. And, you know, he, he will make sure the bills will pay, but whatever he had extra, he'll go on his bench. He'll go on the bench around like Friday and won't make it back to like Monday morning. And what I can remember was the stench, the smell that he, he had when he would get back home. And it was, it was a stench that I can't describe, but it's something that if I smell it, I know exactly what it is. Like as soon as I smell it, and you know, and he, you know he like I said he was a, he was a very good man. He he taught me some things that I still use to this day. But it's just the fact that he definitely had a, a real bad addiction. And you know of course you know I never asked him where how it started or I never asked him like you know um, how did you end up getting hooked on this because I'm a child. You know I, he came into my life at like I was like eight years old at the time. And it just I remember you know my mother asking him like can we get you some help and stuff he's like ah oh, i'm all right and it was like a real up and down process because you know one minute he's doing good next minute he's on the bench and you know it's just and then also i watched him you know get around others who would try to influence him to slip back into it and i've watched people you know i've literally watched individuals you know see that how do how good he was doing and they basically kind of prompt him to say, hey, man, you can come back over here and, you know, do this with us. Got people who, who he should never been hanging around with. It was like a bad crowd of people. And, you know, this was in the church. People that we was church members with who had addictions also, you know, out, you know, they had, they put on this front like they, you know, holier than thou. But, you know, outside of church, they, you know, they getting hot. 
which you know everybody you know no one is not everybody's not saints in the church but how you saying you love the lord and stuff but you see this man clean and trying to do better for his family but yet you're you know here egging him on to slip back into an addiction that you know what road is going to take him down to it's, it's i've seen it happen i've definitely seen it happen so you know even with seeing that i i'm saying i'm still surprised that you know i you know indulge in you know the stuff that i indulge in you know what i'm saying hearing it from my mom you know watching my stepfather go through his addiction to the point where you know he's pawned stuff out of our house pawned work trucks and pawned the neighbor's uh car and stuff like that and almost got you know my mother arrested and it's just it was just a bunch of stuff and you would have thought that you know me growing up seeing that type of stuff and, you know, I was just staying far away from it. But, you know, it's a different ball game um, when, you know, when your mother is working and you're not really having too much parental uh, guidance around you. Yeah, you got older siblings and stuff, but you got to think they have children. They have their own life to live. They can't be around you 24-7. And I remember my first time smoking a blunt. This was 2003. It was actually October of 2003. I was... Um, I had spent the weekend at my aunt's house and I was supposed to be back at home that Sunday to make sure I could go back to school and I didn't have no way home. So I ended up missing school that Monday. So I went to my other aunt's house until my mom got back home. Cause I think I either left my kid home or something like that. My mom was pissed at me. So <clears throat> we're at my aunt's house and I'm kicking it. You know, we at the front porch where, um, my other cousins and stuff. And this was at the time, this when a uh, hydro was a very popular, just like how, you know, people say Kush and all that type of stuff, like uh, the different names. But this is when Dro, this is when Dro was the very, very popular weed or whatever. And, you know, they passing the blunt around and they passed it to me. And like, hit, don't hit this. I ain't gonna say nothing to your mom. It's like, if you don't just don't, you better not say nothing. And at this time, I'm like 14. And this was like the age where, you know, a lot of teenagers are trying to discover themselves. They're trying to find out who they are. And me at the age of 14, I was kind of a bit of a follower. You know, me being 33 years old, be 34 in May, I can admit that I was a follower. You know, I was, you know, wanted to be cool. I wanted to people looked at me as cool because I felt like that was more important than being myself. But it took for me to realize years later that, you know, what was cool was me being myself. That was that was the most important thing. Me being myself was actually cool instead of trying to follow what everyone else was doing. So I hit I hit the blunt. It was a fat blunt, too. And I then the choke coughed my lungs out. And that was my first time ever doing it. My first time ever smoking weed. And I didn't smoke again until like years later. Now, I had my first drink at the age of, it was the age of 16 or 17. And, you know, someone who I was around, you know, it was a New Year's. And I they gave me a drink. It was a it was a chaser. It was sour apple vodka and a sprite, and I don't think I finished it. <laughs> and I was I was uh, pretty messed up. And then I actually started drinking, probably like 
drinking more by like a year or two later. And I started drinking really like that. Way before I started smoking, I was drinking. And, you know, I used to go uh, hit up the liquor store uh, when I got up age. Um, or I had somebody buy it for me. Um, go, you know, Mad Dog 2020, you know, or Hypnotic and stuff like that. Or uh, what was that, Burnett, the Clear Vodka. And then uh, once I got, like, when I was just, I wasn't even messing with smoking anymore, drinking anymore. That's when they graduated to weed. And I was already like, I wasn't smoking anything. Like, like when I hit, when I smoked for the first time at the age of 14, I was probably like an occasional smoker. Like, I hit tap off somebody blunt, like my, uh, one of my brothers or cousins or something. It wasn't something like, oh, I'm going to buy my own weed and stuff like that. And this is one of the things that really, um, I feel like I used as an excuse to use drugs. This was during the time when my mother was, uh, she was battling breast cancer and she was definitely, she was losing the battle. And going, seeing, witnessing something like that, it definitely put me through a depression because she was diagnosed in March of 2010 and she died in May of 2011. She passed the day after my 22nd birthday. And from May, I mean, I'm sorry, from March when she got diagnosed and then just the different the months that passed by as far as her, you know, getting her breast amputated, having the surgery, uh, chemo and all this stuff. And just the, it's the up and down stages from March of 2010, I say to January of 2011, I was in denial about my mother's illness because I've watched and I know people like friends and stuff like that who've had to deal with this far as far as you know watching their their parent or their uh, their close family member deal with some uh, some kind of terminal illness and they pass away and thinking that you know I always thought that this couldn't happen to someone I was around even though I've had an auntie um, who passed in 2002 due to lung cancer and stuff like that. But you don't really think this is going to hit your, like a mother or your close sister, like your big sister or something like that, or a big brother or something like that. People that's in your immediate family, you don't think it's going to happen to them. And then when it does happen, you automatically assume, oh, they're going to beat this. They're going to be okay. But once it got to a point that I realized how bad the chemo was like hurting my mom, it was doing more, it was more hurtful than it was healing. That's when it really, it really hit me because I never forget. It was January 2011. Uh, my niece and I, we went to a live taping of uh, WWE. It was a house show, and it snowed uh, once we got out the uh, FedEx farm. It snowed, and my sister came and got us. So she had to get us home. So therefore, because my mother was not feeling good, she was in a lot of pain. So she had to get us to the house. So therefore, her and my other sister could get her, my mom to the ER. And that's when I kind of realized that it was basically it wasn't getting better for my mom. And when I when it really hit me, and then what it really hit me was my mother's last uh, chemo session. And I want to say this was probably like March of 2000 and March of 2011. I want to say I might be incorrect. And 
I that was my only that was the only um that was the only chemo session I had ever sat through. Like, you know, my uh, my older sister Tina, she always she was she was like the the front person for that. She was there, you know, along with my nephews and my other sister and my brother and stuff. And um, when they told us that there was going to be the last one, and then they said come back in two weeks, and then that's when they was going to determine. This had to have been April. This had to have been. Yeah, I want to say this had to have been like April, cause this had to have been April instead of March. When they told us that um, to come back uh, in two weeks, this is when they're gonna determine how long my mother's gonna live or whatever like that, or what or what other options they can do, and stuff like that. Like that was like the only chemo session I ever sat through with my mom. And it was like, I ain't gonna lie, it was depressing because it was like a room full of people who were getting their chemo. And it's like, wow, like, you know, a lot of these people were just, you know, dealing with these cancers, these illnesses and stuff like that. And just watching my mother, you know, have our headphones on, getting her chemo and stuff like that. And just watching this, the, the battle that my mom went through, it definitely sent, you know, us through a depression, especially me. And that's when I, you know, that's when I really indulged in weed. I started buying my own weed. I started, you know, getting, you know, smoking and stuff like that. And at this time, I, you know, got my actual first working car. So I'm going to go kick it with people who smoking and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm spending my little money on weed. And that's when it really started. And then when she passed, it really got worse. And that's the, I was using that as an excuse. Oh, my, my, man, my mother passed. Oh, man, I, I used that as a, uh, as a cop out to go get high. And then going from that, I started, uh, it started experimenting with pills. And that, and that was a scary time too, because I knew nothing about pills. I just, you know, I was just going off the information. And this is how silly and foolish I was. And, you know, my message to the youngsters out there, man, it's not fun. Do not do it. Don't indulge in it. If you're a square, be proud to be a square. If you if you're not one to indulge in these type of things, then just stay on that side. It's not fun. So I'm going off the word of people who I'm around, as far as how these pills work, like full bars and stuff like that, uh, Percocet and all this other type of stuff. And that's when I started experimenting with that stuff. You know, making the bar juice, dropping like four uh four bars in the pear juice, putting the Jolly Ranchers in there, and letting them all dissolve, and just shaking it up and just sipping. And um, and then this was probably like also my first time trying lean. Uh, my first time trying lean, and it's just you know it was just I was using that as an excuse. Like oh, I'm, like this is like two years. After my mother had passed, I'm using it as an excuse. Man, uh, I need like I'm using it as an excuse to do this. Man, I miss my mama, man. I miss my mama, man. I miss my mama. But I had to wake up somehow and realize, like, bro, you can't use that as an excuse. You can't. So even though I had stopped drinking and I say I had stopped smoking, this was like 2004. 14, I had stopped smoking. The longest I had stopped smoking weed was, I say about seven months. I had stopped smoking weed for seven months. And 
I don't know, something triggered for me to do it. I'm standing in a household with other, you know I'm saying, two other roommates who smoke, well, who smoke. And something happened at work. It was just a very stressful day. I had worked both my jobs today, and it was a very stressful day. And I used that as an excuse, Aubrey, I'm going to get hot. And that triggered even worse because I find myself buying more weed than ever. And this is before I had a family or anything like that. Bro, it got so bad to where I go cop from somebody, and then I'm probably cleaning up my room, and I find a um, a DVD case with a quarter in it, with a quarter bag or whatever, with some weed already broken down on it, far as I'm ready to roll up. Or I'm thinking that I'm looking in my bottom drawer for something, and there go another DVD case with a, a 15 bag in it. Or looking in my closet, I had like in my walk-in closet in my room, as far as in the apartment I was living in, I put my hand up and looking for like a looking for something, like a pen or a notebook or something, and I'm feeling weed. And that's how bad it was for me. And especially if I'm it's tax time, I'm buying an ounce or I'm yeah, I'm buying a half ounce or I'm buying an ounce. You know what I'm saying this is, you know, this is the the, the regular weed. You know, this wasn't the the draw and the, the the loud and the gas and all that shit. This is just regular weed. You know, I was cool with that. As long as it get me high. <clears throat> That's when I, I I slowed down. I slowed down from buying it. And then once I became a husband, a a, a father, provider, and stuff like that, it took me a while to get adjusted to learning how to do that. You know, because it was something new for me. I like, you know, once I made the decision to be with my wife and move out of my uh, move out of the city of Memphis, it was definitely something new for me. You know, and uh, I got to a point where, you know, I had I was smoking black and mouse, and that was a very very bad habit for the tobacco. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna stop smoking weed, I got I need a substitute. And then I ended up smoking them both, smoke a blunt. Smoked the uh, black and mild afterwards, and it was a very terrible habit. And then this went on for years, went on for years. It was just like an up and down battle. And then uh, it was two. It was last year. Two, it was May fourth, two thousand twenty-two. My birthday, and I had a good birthday. Went to work. Uh, had a good day. Uh, co-workers gave me uh, a card and a cake and stuff. Uh, my wife had picked me up uh, from work. She had uh, got me uh, some gifts that I wanted. It was a good birthday. And, you know, um, I went on the porch to go smoke. And I just got some. And I'm sitting here. I'm, like, sitting in the chair on the porch. And I'm holding the blunt. And I'm pulling from it. And something hit me. And I asked the question. To myself, why am I doing this? And I looked at it. I said, do I even enjoy this anymore? That's exactly what I said to myself. Because it got to a point where within them years, once I moved out here, like that was like I'm almost a main focus of mine. Because... I'm, I'm using these different lame excuses to go smoke. Oh, I'm dealing with the pressure of being a household, uh, being a household leader, being a father, being a husband, and it's hard and all that stuff. You know, it'll be the first thing I run to as soon as I get home. I'm not even checking to see if the house okay. 
oh, I'm going to smoke that blunt I, uh, I, I put out last night. But on that day right there, last year, um, 2000, uh, 2022, May 4th, I, I'm holding the blunt. I was like, bro, do I really enjoy this anymore? Like, why am I doing this? And when I said to, to myself, I put it out because I only took a couple of pulls from it. I'm like, and what I did was I just I kept thinking that whole day. And then I didn't smoke. I didn't smoke at all. And then here come, this was on a Wednesday. Here comes that um, Saturday. And it's because uh, my wife and I, our birthdays are four days apart. Last year, her birthday landed on Mother's Day. So that Saturday, I I had told myself, like, on that day right there on the Sabbath, I said, I'm done. And I threw out all the stuff, I, all the weed I had left. That I still had that same blunt. I, threw, I put it all in the toilet. I put it all in the toilet. I uh, threw my grinder away. I threw all that away. And I said, I am done. I am done. And I didn't even tell my wife because she had been wanting me to stop a long time ago. And I was like, you know what? Once I get to a certain month or something like that, I tell her. But I was like, nah, I can't do this. And then my reasoning for that is because uh, my reasoning for that is because it was a lot of reasons. I feel like, you know, I had to get my health back in order. You know, I can't, you know, and I wanted to be a much better example for my household and also what I'm doing now for us with the podcast. Because it got to a point where I was letting we intervene with that. I can't tell you how many interviews I put off or episodes I put off because I would mess around and get high before I was supposed to, me to do time for me to do an interview or time for me to do an episode. And I was like, oh, I do that. I lie to somebody and say, oh man, I gotta go do this and do that. All because I'm hot. I couldn't conduct myself um on an interview or you know on the live stream or something like that because I'm hot. Because I wouldn't smoke before 30 minutes before it's time for me to, to conduct an interview. And I have to tell myself, like, bro, if you wanted to, if I want, if you really want to be a real legitimate businessman and be, I'm saying, and build your own media platform, man, you got to make that sacrifice. And that sacrifice was letting weed go. And I can't even lie, it's been the best feeling ever because today is, today is January 7th. January 7th. Yes. Ever since. So it's officially been eight months since I said I'm done with weed and just smoking anything. I have not smoked anything since then. I, like I said, I officially, I my last time smoking anything was on my birthday, May 4th. But I really called it quits and I also prayed that night. I also prayed that night. I prayed that God take the urge and the taste out of my system so therefore I wouldn't crave it anymore. And now it's to the point where if I'm around it, I can't stand the smell of it. I can't. Oh, God. The, the smell of tobacco, the smell of weed, the, tobacco, the smell of to, uh, uh, black and mild, all of it. So it's been officially eight months now, and I can't even lie. It feels so good. And, you know, a lot of people were shocked and surprised. And, like, damn, like, what made you do that? And my people was questioning and stuff like that. Like, this is a personal choice of mine. And, you know, I'm not expecting people to, I wasn't expecting people to understand my choice. It was, you know, it was a personal choice for me. 
some fella I felt like I had to do. Even when I talked to one of my uh, brothers who was a you know a very heavy weed smoker. You know, it's no judging on him, no judge against him. But of course, man, fuck all this. I gotta get high. Da, 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 da. Okay, that's your decision. But you know, this was a personal choice for me. You know, this is something I feel like, you know, I in order for me to become a better person, become a better mouse, become a better uh podcaster, a businessman, and just everything in general, I feel like that was the sacrifices I needed. And I I feel so good. I like I'm so glad that you know I don't have that urge anymore. I'm so like I'm so glad. And I I'm so I thought I'd never get to this get to this point, you know, as far as being on this journey. You know, almost close to uh being a year in. I, I don't I don't plan on I don't plan on slipping up. I don't plan on ever smoking ever again in my life. I don't want to. You know. I had been battling that, you know, since these demons and these vices for so long. And it was like, I, I, it all starts with you making that decision. And I made that decision on May 4th, 20, like 2022, when I questioned myself, bro, like, do I get an enjoyment out of this? Because I, I felt like I was just doing it just to be doing it. What relief did it get me? What relaxation did it, did it get me? You know? But on one end, on when May 7th hit, it was over with, bro. I was completely done with it. So it's just this, this this episode is meant for those who are still battling. This this episode is meant for those who who still find themselves struggling. You know, for those who like, man, I want to quit, but I just don't know where to start. Like, trust me, you, you got to start with your decision. You got to start with admitting that you have a problem. What if it's pills? What if it's tobacco? What if it's drinking? It don't matter what it is, man. The addiction is real. It's real out here. And like I said, not only the stuff, the stuff that's going on with the fentanyl, it kind of helped me push going towards being sober, but it's just a decision I decided to make because, you know, I want to be a much better person. I feel like that was the sacrifice you know, I had to make in order to get up, to be on that road, that correct path of being a better person. I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it in my life and I don't want it in my life. You know, I'm, I'm turning this this eight year, this eight months into a lifetime until I'm no longer here, until I'm no longer here. I'm turning that far as being sober into a life, a lifestyle, and I'm gonna make it a lifetime. You know, I'm you, people won't have to ever worry about me taking a puff or anything or doing any of that stuff, man. I don't, it's it's out of my system. You know. So it's just my message goes out to anyone who may be dealing with it or battling with it, man. You got this. Whenever you make that decision to say, you know what, I'm done, just, you know, keep that faith. Even if you got to pray, even if you got to talk to yourself or you got to talk to someone else about it, man, make that decision and make sure it's a decision that you're ready to commit to. I know it's an up and down thing. It's, a, uh, it's, a up and, it's an uphill battle. But you got this. To anyone who may be battling any addiction, trust me, you got this. So, but I'm JJ Moss, and I'm out. Happy New Year.